Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Generation On Air. My name is Alex Bullimore and this week I am joined by Dan Lambert. Uh, so yeah, another rubbish week for QPR, full of disappointment. So it's back to being a normal QPR fan after a couple of months of having fun. Two defeats against teams in the bottom half of the table mean that QPR are clinging on to their playoff spot as we lurch towards the World Cup. So, Dan... Uh, firstly, welcome. How are you? Uh, good, you? Yeah, yeah. better for not actually watching QPR in this moment in time. But let's revisit it. So let's cast our minds back to Saturday. Um, it actually feels like a lot has happened since then, considering how bad Huddersfield was. And I think we were just saying before we started recording this that there's a lot of crossover between the two problems. So, you know, we'll mention specifically that Dazelle lost his place and Willock came back in for the team sheet news. But apart from that, it's all kind of the same, isn't it? So just fill us in on, because I didn't actually go to the West Brom game. I only tuned in for the last 15 minutes. Um, but just fill me in on how it went. Yeah, I mean, there wasn't much between the two teams. I think despite West Brom being down there uh, squad-wise, they're probably in the false position. Um, and it was kind of a typical Carlos Corbran performance, you know, what we've known from um, from his time at Huddersfield, kind of 1-0, 2-1 wins, uh, the set piece being the defining uh, moment in the game. And to be fair, off the ball, I thought they were really well coached. Didn't think we were great going forward in that sense, but um, they looked well drilled. Um, and yeah, the, the set piece is the, the, the big difference in the game. But I didn't think there was much between the two sides all game. Yeah. Um, let's talk about that set piece then, because it, it's becoming a, a running theme, you know, conceding from set pieces. So, and we will talk about that later on in the podcast when it comes to Huddersfield, um, which was a complete shit show. But um, I, I was watching it the last 15 minutes on a really sort of a bad quality stream. So it wasn't, I couldn't quite see exactly what was happening. Uh, it kept on coming in and out of focus. But I did think that when uh, the foul was awarded to West Brom, that they kind of... And, you know, we've mentioned previously that we've gotten away with a few dodgy ones ourselves, but this didn't seem, maybe it was just a stream, but for me, I thought I could see a clear gap between where Field was and where, uh, is it Bart Bartley? Yeah, yeah, yeah I think it is. Yeah. I think the referee kind of gets done by the angle of it, doesn't he? Um, I'm trying to remember it. In, in, I think, yeah, I think you could you could say it was a, was it a high boot? But kind of, but they're both going for yeah. the same ball. I, I it's one of these ones I really don't like giving a foul for it because you can't actually, I don't think you can point in either direction on who's come off worse unless both players are on the ground. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the only thing is they're probably going at opposite directions, aren't they? So there's kind of a natural collision anyway, which probably doesn't help Phil's case, but Regardless of that, we've we we need to defend the uh, the set piece better. Um, but saying that, I don't think I think it was down to kind of us just losing a one v one duel rather than like the the stru- structural issue in that sense. Yeah, I mean this one is Balogun just sort of gets flattened by Bartley, doesn't he? He doesn't even get in near to contesting mm. the ball. Um, I'm not saying it's a foul on Balogun. It's just that he does not get up and uh, sort of comp- contest the ball in a strong enough manner to for it to be a meaningful piece of defending. What what's the focus on that? What what do you think of Balogun so far? Because I've seen a lot of praise for him. Um and I just wonder whether he's had 
of the same effect that Jimmy Dunn had last season on the fans. Kind of, I, I don't dislike him, but I certainly don't see the sort of the high praise that other people have been giving him. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think, I think, like to reiterate, to reiterate the point, uh, I think it was when we discussed him when he was getting a lot of praise. I think that was more a factor of old Balligans in the in the in the back four or whatever. I mean, we got the clean sheet. It's because of him. Um, it's not a direct correlation, I don't think. Um, I think he's been all right. I think the amount of injuries, he's probably been the only one that's kind of been consistent in that sense, which is probably a surprise. I don't think that's helped him in terms of having to play week in, week out. He probably probably could do with do with a bit of rest at, at his his age, but I think he's been all right. I don't think he's been um, he's been good in games, um, probably worse in others. But uh, the issue with me is. Some of the time he uh, he does it a bit like Dicky, but I don't think he's good as it um, in terms of stepping out in possession. Um, that's that's probably the area of the game that's kind of a risk when, especially when you've got the fullbacks flying and you kind of got the back two uh, vulnerable at the back. So yeah, a mixed performance from him over the last kind of like four four games, I'd say. But yeah, he's not been as good as probably what everyone's made out. I think. Yeah, because he's kind of got a touch of the Stephen Corkers when he comes out, which is what he used to do. Whereas you know, Dicky, I feel a lot more comfortable that he's going to actually take a shot at the end of it or, you know, like make a good pass. Whereas I feel like Balogun runs down the blind alley and gets shut off. And then you suddenly, you like you said, you, you've just got poor Jake Clark Sorter probably <laughs> standing there against this wave of attacking players that's going to come at him. Um, yeah. The, the only other thing I would say about him is that sometimes, and it was kind of evident, I think, in the Norwich game, there's a couple of times when he tried to usher the ball out and he just sort of he's tried it a few times and he got caught out in Norwich in the Norwich game at least two times doing it. I just feel like sometimes he's been a slightly off the pace. You know, like if the goal get hence Bristol City, it's a big deflection that comes off him. He doesn't react to whatever's happening quick enough. If that was other players, I feel like they'd had the the knives would have been out for them a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, you could say that. I think, yeah, I don't really know. Is that a lapse in concentration? Is that, um, I can't remember exactly the Norwich specific moments, but, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what, what's the reason for that. But I think with the game time, I think, I don't think he was expecting to come in, play, um, I don't know how many games he's played consecutive, consecutively or whatever, but, um, I'd have, I'd have expected at this point in the season to have maybe like Dickie and Park Salter as kind of a, a solid partnership that's kind of flourishing, but we haven't really been able to see it. Um, so let's go back to the West Brom match. Uh, when they had that free kick, I just have to admit, I thought they were going to score. It felt like that that was just going to be it. It didn't, from the limited stuff I'd seen, we didn't really feel in the game at that point. So I think you've already discussed it on Twitter. Um, I certainly mentioned it last night on the radio, but Dan, what was the reason that West Brom managed to frustrate us so much? Um, their, their shape, I think that it was a shape, um, four, it was a 4-5-1 out of possession, kind of sitting in, com- compressing the, the space where the likes of Willock and Chair would like to pick up the ball between the lines and kind of reacting on, on, on triggers, really. If the ball went out wide, the wide men would kind of press them. Um, and then if it went to central areas, the central midfielders would just kind of step out. Um I did feel as though Willock and Chair didn't particularly help the situation at times. I think I think I mentioned it on Twitter that coming deep, um, trying to pick up the ball against kind of 
man-for-man structures, a bit like Luton is kind of an example where I think it works because it kind of dismantles the, the stru opposition structure. But when teams are happy to sit in, let you drop deep kind of um, and just invite the pressure, didn't really feel like it helped us. And I think there's one one real moment where we had a 3v2 in the wide area. I think I highlighted it. And kind of Laird pins the, the full-back and the, the centre-back in a really good position. And there was kind of um, an opportunity to kind of make a third-man combination to create a bit of depth behind their back line for a cut-back scenario. Um, but obviously, Chair kind of does what Chair does and drives into the pressure and we, we lose possession. So, a bit frustrating in that sense. But, um, yeah, we didn't really look like um, coming up with any ways to to break them down. Yeah, and that sort of resonates for the West, uh, not West Brom, uh, the Huddersfield performance as well, doesn't it? Um, yeah. I don't think there's anything else really that I picked up on from the West Brom performance, unless you want to mention anything. I think Dykes had a pretty good chance, didn't he? But it was just wide and Tim has a chance as well. But apart from that, there wasn't really much from our yeah, the only. No, well, the only the only other thing I'd say is I thought West Brom started really well the first fifteen minutes, and they obviously had that chance at this the first minute or so. Dean Garner, um, probably a bit unfortunate that the ball came straight at him, um, so we were lucky in that sense in early on. Um, but the only other thing I'd say is good from our performance was probably the press in the first half. I thought we pressed them quite well, kind of forced them along, but it wasn't really a, uh, a hugely encouraging performance from from our point of view overall. So let's move on to Huddersfield, a game that we both had to endure. Uh, endure definitely being the right word. Um, Clark's also returned in place of Dickey and Adoma came in. And this was a bit of a curveball for me because, uh, I mean, we're, he's clearly searching for how to solve the conundrum that is left without Stephanie Hansen. He's obviously a big player for us right now. Um and without him, what do we do? So he's tried the Zell, he's tried Amos, he's tried both of them together. And unfortunately for them, neither of them has sort of, you know, torn it up and sort of shown the best of what they can do. Uh, I don't think, I think out of the two of them, you'd probably expect Amos to be closer to be something of the quality required. But neither of them, you know, have really performed. So we come to this position where you've got Albert Adoma playing starting probably in his natural position for the first time in probably two years now, <laughs> maybe unless he, unless he featured there a couple of times last season towards the end of the season. I don't know. I haven't looked into it, but Beal said after the game that he did a good job. Now I know you disagree with that, Dan, and I disagree with that as well, because that is not true, is it? No, um, just on your first point, I echo everything you said. I think, I think we've kind of struggled to kind of find that 11th man. And I was curious whether he changed the system. Um, but on the Adoma point, particularly his post-match comments are something along the lines of, uh, I thought he was excellent. The role I gave him um, was to beat the man um, and cross it in. And the amount of times he, he beat the man and cross it in was 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 loads. Um, I'll try not to get on the crossing point uh, just yet, but I thought, yeah, I didn't, I didn't think his... His delivery was all that good. Uh, he frustrated at times with with kind of like his touch. Um, yeah, he did look off the tempo probably with the fact that he hasn't played much, but I don't think he was excellent at all. Um, and with the in, on terms of the crossing point, it seems that that from the response I got on Twitter from Rangers fans, it seems um, that's Glasgow that's Rangers kind of been, by the way. Yeah, not, yeah, not that's Queen's um, Rangers, Glasgow Rangers. That's kind of been a uh, recurring theme during their period when they had him. So. 
yeah, I, I was bemused by his uh, comments on Adoma. See, the thing is as well, though, it's not just this season that we've had bad crossing. We had bad crossing for majority of last season with Warburton and the season before that. We haven't had been good at crossing the ball, which is a stupid thing to think about, really. The fact that a footballer, a professional footballer, can't cross the ball properly. Um, you know, it, it really is bizarre um, how they can't quite cross it correctly. Uh, and like... You know, like I think you've already mentioned as well, you know, without Stephanie Hansen, even our, our attacking set pieces in a, crossing in that sense where we've scored a few goals already this season, that's not up to scratch either uh, at the moment, which is a big loss for us. Um, so let's look at the one positive then, I guess, the, the goal that we do score. Willock down the wing, cuts it across and Dykes finishes a really easy chance and you know he, he's played his 100th game for QPR we're 1-0 up after two minutes not thinking in the moment that we should be 6-0 up or something like that or we're going to go on to it in 6-0 but you kind of feel a little bit better about yourselves we've, we, we, at that point they had already had a pretty good chance but we've we've seen them off we've gone down the other end and scored with our first meaningful attack at that point I think we were all feeling pretty confident weren't we yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I'm gonna say what I said in the ground to my mate. Um, when we went one 0 up, I thought we were gonna. I said this is where we're gonna kick on. When maybe we got like three 0 up at half time, but you know that's the that's the false sense of hope with QPR. Um, there was a good goal. Um, kind of something that we didn't do all night was was actually cut the ball back rather than cross it. Um, Willock's run to penetrate that last line was was excellent. I thought, and and Dykes was there for the for the cutback. So. No, it was a good goal, and um, I was kind of glad at the time that Sunny Diang saved us and saved us um, in the first thirty seconds of the game before we went on the scored. Um, so no, it was a good, good probably first two minutes. Yeah, um, and that's kind of what that goal is the blueprint for what we need to do a bit more throughout the game, I guess, and previously against West Brom as well. Um, if you think back to the game again against Bristol City, the two goals that we score there, they are from similar sort of positions, working it out wide. Watford as well. Yeah, and a low ball into the box. doesn't necessarily have to be a cut back. It could be a low cross. I feel like when you put the ball in at a speed uh, and at a, sort, a certain level of height so the keeper can't just come and claim it, anything can happen with that. You keep your, your player could bash it into the back of the net, the opposition could accidentally kick it into the back of the net. You know, you, anything can happen when you whip it in at a certain amount of pace. And we don't re- seem to do that when we have those sort of floaty crosses that go in that are easy enough to defend and easy to sort of claim as a goalkeeper. But like you said, Watford, two goals against Bristol City and now this goal at home against Huddersfield. There's your blueprint. That's what we're actually quite good at doing. So just, you know, go and do that a bit more often which would be nice. But we don't do that, do we? Instead, we completely cock it up from the set plays. Um, so this has been... This was, again, like, really painful to watch because we we sat on here like everyone did when they after they'd watched Birmingham, uh, whether you were in the pub with your mates or whether you were on the back train on the way home from Birmingham, or if you do a podcast like us and you were talking to your QPR mates that way. I think probably most of us would have said that Birmingham goal where it went over Senny. Fluky, annoying, but there's a little bit of a pattern there, isn't there? Let's hope it doesn't happen again. 
There's a bit of a silence here because I want a long sigh to be sort of the exasperation from us because it's just incredibly frustrating to see it loop over Sonny's head again. And I, I think I'll echo exactly what Micah said after the Birmingham game. We're no experts in goalkeeping. I, I, it's one position that is completely foreign to us and we make assumptions and we say stuff about every other position on the pitch, but I don't think either of us feel comfortable enough to say whether Sonny Dieng should be on his line for that or whether it's fair enough that he is off his line. I think it's just fair enough that he's off his line. But then again, I'm no goalkeeping expert. I don't even come close to qualifying as one. So I don't know what you think, Dan, but it's incredibly frustrating, isn't it, to see another loopy, lucky goal. Yeah, yeah, that was a, that was the second one, wasn't it? Um, yeah. yeah, I yeah, I mean, I echo what you said. I'm not, I'm no expert of goalkeepers. Whether the, I don't really want any goalkeeper union getting on my back. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to say, isn't it? But I mean, before before the uh, the, the the shot or the uh, wet, the flick, whatever you want to call it, um, goes in. Um, we don't lose. We don't win the first contact. We don't win the second ball. Um, I think it's Tim and Clark Salter. They just—I uh, I remember seeing um, Tim just flick his leg up, and I'm thinking, "What are you doing? Mm. Like, just, 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 just go for the ball. Don't, don't start like flicking your leg up like you're doing ballet or something." Um, but no, there's no attempt to kind of put him under any pressure. He's got the time to do it. He's got half. He's got the whole goal open with the end off his line. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just poor around, and it was kind of a. Yeah, it was just the laughing stuck at that point. And the first goal, your thoughts on that? The first goal, we lose the 2v1 um, at the back post. I don't know how we, quite frankly, lose the 2v1. Um, and then no one's really marking uh, ruffles on the kind of edge of the six-yard box. So I don't, I haven't watched it back in terms of to see who's picking up ruffles, but I don't really see it as a structural issue in that sense because we don't win our duels. If you don't win your duels, you're not going to win uh, defender set piece as well. Um, and that's kind of been a recurring theme over the what the last five goals we've conceded in six games from set pieces, I think. Um, so yeah, it's just it's just incredibly frustrating. The see, the thing is about this is that I've and I've said to you and you know in our group chat, um, and you kind of echo what Bill's saying about it being like a, he says, is it a mentality issue that he said? Yeah, something like that. I kind of, I take that point and you know, you have got to have a certain sort of headspace to want to sort of charge into the challenge. But at the same time, there is a certain amount of like, okay, if they're standing in the right position, fair enough. Okay, that's fine. You've clearly, they're clearly well drilled in that sense. But isn't there a certain point where maybe it sounds a bit old fashioned, but you get them on the training pitch and you just, constantly do corners until they clear it like you know if they were to if a striker was to miss the a chance like Dykes did earlier on the season you know would he not do training on finishing the next Tuesday when he when they're on the training ground no they would be training on trying to finish being in the right areas and also finishing it so you know, you can be in the right area. You can not have, you know, you can have not, you know, whatever you've got the mentality or not to win the ball. But surely there's a certain point where as a coach and stuff, they've got to look at this and think this is beyond, that. there's something quite wrong here. 
and there may be a mentality issue, but surely just keep on practicing it with them because he can't possibly see that happen in a game and think that's okay. And if that was to happen in a training exercise, would he just turn around and think that's fine? No, I agree with you in the sense that it can be coached through repetition, um, like you say. I think, and what I've seen from from some people on on Twitter about the the whole set piece coach and set pieces, they were free kicks, so it was slightly different to a corner scenario. But people were saying, oh, why can't he do this? Why can't he do that? The coach can only do so much in terms of the structure. It's not we. They can't. They can't coach them into being robotic, where the point where they have to be there, have to be there. So there is a level of um, of freedom you've got to give them within the structure of a set piece. But yeah, no, I do agree that perhaps repetition could work. Uh, but at the same time, if, yeah, I suppose there are might, might there might be other ways to kind of build that kind of mentality to to win to win second balls and first contacts, but. It's just it's just the basic stuff mm. um, that's that's costing us really. But the whole I I've seen people say, um, slate the set piece coach. And I don't think he deserves too much credit because ultimately that's down to the players for, for not winning their duels. The, the interesting thing about the set piece coach is mentioned in Clive's report of the game the other day on Loft Words that maybe some clubs, maybe some fans wouldn't actually know who the set piece clo- coach is for their club whether they have one or whether they don't have one. But we do know who it is. And because they made a bit of a song and dance over it when we first got him in, they've kind of made a rod for him back and put a target on his his back a little bit when as soon as it's going to go wrong, of course, you've got a set-piece coach now, so that must be the fault of the set-piece coach. Yeah, perhaps. I think, I think I read that only five or six teams in our league have set pieces uh set piece coaches so i don't think it's purely a they haven't announced it i just don't think there's many many in this division that actually have one so maybe they i don't know why they decided to make a big announcement out of it um i do get i do get the point about the, the criticism will be on his back when there's issues but um i think it needs a i i might have a further look at it in a piece at some point but um i think it needs a deeper dive because if you look from first glance, if you look at the kind of the goals we've conceded, a bit like it was a bit like last season when I had a look. There's there's kind of key themes you can see key themes, um, and the key themes that I kind of saw from first glance weren't really on the set piece coach. Um, they're more more so on the players. So I think I think you got to be kind of be careful where you're kind of throwing your criticisms about. But yeah, he he might he might take some game for it. Yeah. Um. So again, there's. We had thirty six. Was it thirty six chances? Correct. The most, the yeah. most in the championship since Leeds Wigan. Perfect. Thirty six shots against Huddersfield. Six of them ended up on target. About I'd say thirty were probably chairs shots from outside the box. Um, you know this is quite a frustrating thing. We often rely on Chair and Willock to do these sort of long-range shots, specifically Willock recently. That's kind of how he's got most of his goals. If you think back to the start of the season when he had scored like four and four, majority of them came from ridiculous positions that you just never thought you were going to score from. You know, there was it was a, a fantastic run followed by a fantastic finish, but, you know, uh, I'm going to mention the sort of the, the hated stat, but in, in, on an XG-wise, you probably wouldn't have that 
as likely to be scored because it takes such talent to do that. That's not going to come off every single game. And when you rely on Chair and Willock to do stuff like that, you need them to do a little bit more and you've got to lay on chances for the other players that are there. Now, Dykes obviously scored his goal. Unfortunately, when you look at that side, I don't really see where the other goals are coming from. Adoma hasn't really scored many. Tim's at the start of his career and Sam Field has scored like two goals in four years or something. So goal scoring wise, there isn't many goal scorers in that team. So you may as well have a lot of focus on giving it to your one, your striker. Um, And we create a hell of a lot of chances, but as it was pointed out prior to the game, which was a bit interesting by QPR analytics on Twitter, the quality just isn't there. There's a lot of quantity a lot of the time, but the quality just isn't there in terms of giving it to Dykes to actually put it in the back of the net. No, and uh, yeah, and um, I think that's to do with the crosses again. Um, kind of the areas we're creating these chances from deeper areas. I get, I get they had eleven men behind the ball, but when you're when you're throwing um, crosses into the box from these deeper deeper wide areas to Dykes, who's up against, what, three, four defenders each time. You're underloading the box generally anyway. It didn't mm-hmm. really make sense to me. I think we need to be more patient in build-up. Again, you said about the chair, um, chair the amount of shots that chair would have had. Um, I think he could have been a bit more patient at times. But I think the amount of times we were down that right-hand side in the second half, I'd have much preferred us to kind of bring in an extra play out wide because we've always... 2v2 against them, kind of bring an extra player, go 3v2, draw them out a little bit wider and then kind of create that space for those runs that we like to make. Um, yeah, I, I just, I'm not really surprised when you throw, I think it's 55 crosses in, in the whole game, complete 27% of them, uh, that you're not going to create much um, from quality. So, yeah, it was it was very poor. Yeah. Um, the midfield then, the two central midfielders, Irabunum and Sam Field, there's a lot said about the, both these players prior to the start of the season. Uh, Field was quite highly rated and Beal suggested that he wanted to see a bit more from him. I think he... Did he say that he saw him more as a number eight? Box to box eight, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then also, you know, Irabunum's come with a fantastic reputation that has in some parts been enhanced with some of the things that he's done at the club so far. However... I know you can never look much into match ratings, but I certainly didn't think they were the best two players in Boom White Hoops the other night. Yet, West London Sport put them at 7 out of 10s. I thought 7 out of 10 was incredibly generous. And again, you know, that's just a rough idea of sort of, I guess, how they played. But, and it's been a problem we've had with Field for a while. He's an excellent centre defensive midfielder, but he's passing range in sense of actually creating something is quite limited. And Irabunum... Well, tell, the, tell the listeners how you described it on the group chat. I said it was as exciting as a blank piece of A4 paper. Um, Irabunum, whilst fun to watch at times, he still obviously has a lot to learn and he's become very frustrating to watch, I think, in these last couple of games, particularly at West Brom. Uh, no, sorry, Huddersfield. He, there was a couple of moments where he just didn't read the game at all and, you know, it just doesn't pick the pass or, or or the part 
where the ball is sort of like in open space, it's happened a few times now. He just doesn't realise that that's his area that he's got to go and cover and collect the ball, uh, which I found really strange. And he does do these sort of eye-catching runs, but they haven't kind of... It's not like... It doesn't feel like when Willett goes past the player, it doesn't feel like Eze going past the player. It feels like he's going to do two players, but he needs to... He just doesn't have that final pass yet. The end product isn't there. So I just wondering what you think. And I was really kind of disappointed because I thought Tim was a bit too relaxed the other night. And but I didn't think but either of them played very well. And yet they seem to get you know fairly good praise. I mean, surprise, surprise, I thought Dykes was our best player, right? In terms of getting his job done. And he was the only player that did that. Yeah, I think I think that wasn't really a game fulfilled. Um like you said, the passing range isn't isn't quite there. I don't think he's lived up to Bill's Bill's expectations because he kind of switched roles about ten games ago, um, and he was kind of um, reliable for um, responsible rather for kind of recycling and circulating the ball either side. Um, Tim, I thought he was all right. To be fair, I think I think the thing we have with him is, that we don't have with any of our other midfielders from deeper areas is. Particularly when we play against these sides that sit in, he will actually go and risk risk um, not risk wrong word um, gamble gamble with the ball in the sense that he'll try and break the opposition down. It doesn't always work, and like you say, he does have frustrations. That's why he's on loan. Um, but I still think, in terms of consistency, he's probably been our best midfielder over the last four or five games. Um, yeah, he does. I, I just, I just think when when he has the ball and he can beat one or two players, it just opens up different avenues for us. Um, and Chair does frustrate me so many times when he comes too deep for the ball. Uh, so yeah, I suppose he gives you that on the flip side. Um, I thought they were all right, and the only other thing is who else do we have right now? Um, well, that's Dezelle's the thing I was going to say. Like Dazelle and Amos, just it's unfortunate that they are not performing well enough because I, I would rest one of. Field or Iribunum after these last couple of games just to sort of give him a little bit of time off, but they're going to have to play because there is no mm. one else. Yeah, that might be that might be the issue. That might be the, the amount of minutes he's played. I think I think Bill said a few times the amount of minutes um Iribunum's had in his legs um, for a young player. So maybe that's the case. Um, but it does certainly doesn't help that the the depth that we have in midfield is is poor. Um, I think I think Richards can play that, and I think we might touch on it in a minute. But um, I think once he gets his fitness, it's kind of his place to have it at the minute. If you have some kind of in and out of the team, um, but yeah, that might be an area we kind of need to look at in, in January, perhaps. Yeah, well, I think that might be a, a move to make, even though it would probably weaken our bench for the next game. I think you've got probably just for a little bit of freshness and a little bit of point of difference, probably got to start Richards, haven't you? Yeah, I thought he was. I thought he was one of our. Um, you say Dykes is our best player, and I think um, Cliver in his report. I, I think, think I think Richards was one of our better players for fifteen minutes. I mean, yeah, it's always I, I'm always hesitant to say about subs because they, unless they really influence the game and score a goal off the bench, then I, I'm careful for just sort of saying that he was really good for running about fifteen minutes. But I thought Dykes was consistent over the ninety. Yeah, yeah, no, there's nothing on Dykes. Um, no, I just thought I just thought he added that bit of composure on the ball, the first chance, kind of tried to try to lob the keeper um, with that shot, uh, and then we got a corner off of it. I think he made the back post run for the second phase of a set piece, uh, and he was kind of unlucky not to get that on target. 
Um, and I think the other one was a blocked shot. So he looked he looked up for it. Um, I mean, I know I've been saying big things about him for the for a while now, and I'm kind of hoping he repays repays me. But no, I think he's we got a good player in our hands in in him if we can get him fit. Yeah, and very quickly, we've got a limited amount of time in this part of the Zoom call left, but and I don't think we can probably sum it up as uh, brutally and as disgustingly and as well as Clive Whittenham did in his match report. But the complete joke of re- that was Gavin Ward as a referee. I mean, we've seen some bad performances and Keith Stroud will be looming over us heading into Saturday's game with Coventry. But this was pathetic, wasn't it? Like They were time-wasting the whole game. They got fat. They got, for the first 33 minutes, I think, they got every single foul every time. One of our players even went near them. They hit the ground. They got a foul. There was a point where Dykes had a big gash in his head and blood was coming out of it, but that wasn't enough to award us a free kick at that point in the game. Um, you know, the, the time wasting, as I said, the yellow cards for time wasting starting on the 89th minute when they had started on 30 minutes. I mean, Dan, you've only got two minutes and I don't like to talk about referees as an excuse. And it wasn't an excuse for us losing, but it was tear your hair out, jump off the stands for straightening, wasn't it? Yeah, I think I think the point about the... um goalkeeper getting booked on uh, very late on the game. I think that's the second time it's happened. I think I think he happened at Rotherham against Rotherham this season as well. It was one one other team that they put the the goalkeeper for time wasting in like the ninety third minute and it made absolutely no difference. Um yeah, towards the end there was other things like Taylor Richards kind of um I think went to went to like press him and put his arm across but then he fell down like a sack of potatoes and got a got a cheap free kick. Um the referee for me just made it look like himself. The amount of times I'd see him waving his arms around, telling mm. people to go away. It's like it was it was like going to to watch a, a show at the theatre where he is the main the main um character. Basically. That's how I felt it was like. He just didn't have any control as well. I think um I think I remember seeing even Dwayne Holmes just laughing at him, just telling him to, to, to go away, basically. I don't think that he had the respect of any of the players. Um and that's an issue when you're trying to kind of control a game and um, ref it to the best of your ability, really. Yeah, absolutely. The ref shouldn't be noticed in football games. If you're talking about the ref, something has gone wrong. Um, and towards the end of that game, I think it was about halfway through the second half, he definitely lost control of it. And it was it, it, it was just stupid. It really was. Um, yeah, he'll probably get um, another championship game. He might. Am I wrong in saying that he's refed in the Premier League? Um, I don't even know who he is to be honest. So, he, he re- um, I recognised him from another game in the past, but yeah, that's that. That's everything for West Brom and for Huddersfield. Uh, signed off with a truly shocking performance from the referee. Okay, so uh, as we limp towards the finish line of this first part of this season, we have a trip to Coventry, and it is going to be played in Coventry, which is nice. Um, been a pretty good away day there last season. Took about four thousand p- fans up there, I think, and you know, won it with an Albert Adoma goal. And at that point, everything seemed so okay. Fast forward to now, uh, we're coming off what 
is that three or four defeats in how many? So what is it? Birmingham. Three defeats in four. Three and four. Three Norwich and four. One goal scored. Uh, a quick t- is that six conceded or five? Uh, five or six, something like that. Five, 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 five. Um, yeah. So we come into this game not in the greatest form, Dan. What can we do to give the fans that are travelling to Coventry a little bit of joy prior to the World Cup? Win. Okay. Uh, how can we win the game, Dan? That's more of what I was wanting an answer to. Um, sorry, I can't. I can't. I can't resist. Um. Well, it's going to be a very tough game for starters. Um, they've really hit form one three in the last three games, um, and they got their two games in hand. And really, if they win them, they can actually go above us. I'm not saying that will happen, but it's kind of shows you how tight the the league still is and how how crucial going on these runs are. Um, I think we've got to stop their threats, which is in the main. Victor Yokore is a very good striker at this level. Um, I'm not quite sure how other teams didn't get him for, I think it was a million, but anyway, uh, he's he's picked up form again from last season. They've got Callum O'Hare back from injury. Uh, and so to Gustavo Hamer, who's a very good footballer at this level uh, in the midfield. So they've, they've got their threats. Um, but then, then so have we. Um, I think it's probably going to be quite an end-to-end game, I can see it being. Um yeah, not sure Bill's going to like that too much, but I don't know. It's 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 hard with Coventry. You you, you know what you're going to get from them, but then they they can be inconsistent at times as well. So so can we really? But um, but you'd like to think we can kind of give them a good game. Okay, so team wise, what are we looking at? What would you do? Would you make any changes? Start with the centre-backs, um, I think, because Dunn came off the bench against Huddersfield, so you know anyone's guess who could be starting that game at centre-back? Well, I think I'd, I'd prefer Dickey and Clark Silver, to be honest. But that, that kind of doesn't really include our best centre-back at the club, does it? Um, in, in Jimmy Dunn. Uh, as, as some people say on Twitter. Uh, I wouldn't have Dunn in there, personally. I don't think he's as good as the other two. Um, but And I don't think Coventry pressed too well either from, from memory. So, if you want someone kind of to step in and Pick a pass out. Jimmy Dunn isn't isn't going to offer you that. He's uh, also going to yeah pick. yeah. No, sorry, ignore me. Go on. No, go, go, oh, okay. Full backs pick itself. Um, since two central midfielders do as well. I don't know what he's going to do. Is he going to throw risk him and throw Richards on from the start? Probably not. Um, which is a shame. Uh, so I think he probably stick with the four two three one because Amos is going to miss it. I read Armstrong's going to be including the squad. Um, and I really don't want Dizel starting. The only um, thing that you could do is start Armstrong up front and just, but you know, yeah. but then I, I don't know. I just don't. I think when you play Armstrong, and I think it, we were really good against Cardiff for that first 45, but it, again, it, it relies heavy when you're playing those two up top on crosses. And do we really want to be in another situation where we're watching 90 minutes of? crosses into the box where they I don't know I know they've got um, Coventry's back three usually they've got that Jonathan Panzo who we were interested in I think last year Callum Doyle was a good player and um, I think McFadden or someone like that 
don't think that the younger two are too aerially dominant, so it could work. But Armstrong is in the last full ninety, is he? So I suppose I suppose if you do play him, I reckon the forty five in the first half is better than the second if you're chasing the game. Because there's not really going to be much space for him to kind of showcase his uh, potential. So yeah, you could you could play him. I think there's a few avenues whether you play Dazelle, um a, a domo if you want to go for crosses or kind of a bit more direct and uh, Armstrong. We've got options, but three options don't really scream um, brilliance. Yeah, I think what we're going to get is basically the same 11 again, aren't we? We're not going to, there's nothing to change here. Um, the only thing that might do, maybe a Doma comes out, but the other 10 players are pretty set in stone, I think. Uh, I think he'll probably stick with Clark, Salter, and Balogun. I don't, unless he's injured, I'd be surprised. Yeah, it just seems to be that the way he's going with it, I don't know why he brought Dunn on. I didn't just felt like a wasted sub. Like Balogun wasn't playing awful unless he was he's picked up a knock. What's the point? Especially when you're especially when you're playing against a, a low block like they did for seventy seventy minutes. You want someone stepping in, not someone to defend the odd set piece. I think like Dunn tries it, but he's not like he kind of just gets bad. excited, doesn't he? Um it's just I'd much so rather have Dickie there come playing out from the back. He's much more accustomed to it. He's just better at it, so why not? Um, yeah, I guess that's uh, everything we can say about them. They've got a very good striker. We've we're conceding more goals than we are scoring at the moment, which is you know worrying. Um, the last thing to say before we sign off, I guess, is that at this point, time of recording, Ilias Chia has been called up to play for Morocco in the World Cup, and you know. <clears throat> this is this World Cup comes with a hell of a lot of controversy, but it you know it will be nice, I guess, when Morocco walk out there. Hopefully, we'll see Ilias Chair, the QPR player playing in the World Cup. I don't think. I mean, Luongo would have been the closest one to actually that happening in my lifetime. I think, but Luongo never came off the bench for Australia back in twenty eighteen. I assume it was, or uh, whenever he was playing for us but yeah you know delighted for Ilias Chair and I hope in the, in the next couple of days that um, Sonny Dieng gets his call up for Senegal and it's gutting to hear that Tyler Roberts won't be making it to the World Cup because of his injury um, so you know commiser- commiserations to him and hopefully uh, good luck to the other two as they go off to Qatar um, with that I guess, Dan, that is everything that we have to talk about this week. So thanks for coming on and, you know, getting a few things off your chest. Uh, My pleasure. Have you got anything out at the moment on your Substack? No, no, no. I may mean to get something out during the World Cup break. I don't know what it is yet, but um, yeah, something, something, yeah, one of our issues at the moment. Um. And because it's an away game, we have no programme to promote. So that's everything from us. Thank you very much for listening. Please um, subscribe to us on the podcast platform you are using to listen to this. Uh, If you can on there as well, please do review us. Give us five stars on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Also on the website Chartable, you can write a review if you wish to tell us uh, how great we are and to hopefully entice some new listeners in to the podcast. But yeah, apart from that, thank you very much for listening. And until next time, come on, you ask.